Well, good morning, everyone. How are you today? Good? Very good. Well, <clears throat> this morning, um, I could say that we have been looking over the past few weeks at the, uh, at the topic of stewardship, and we've unpacked that by looking at how we use our talents. We've talked about how we use our uh, treasure, and today I'm going to be looking at stewarding our time, so our talents, our treasure, our time. Today we'll be talking about time, uh, but before I do, let's pray together. Father, thank you that you are here in our midst this morning. Thank you that you're moving on our hearts. Thank you, Lord, that you are with us. Uh, each one of us here today, Lord, wants to hear from you. Each one of us comes with expectation and hope, Lord, that you will touch our hearts, that you will change us. It will be a real change. And so this morning, Lord, I would just pray that you would use me, your vessel, to bring your word to the people here today, that they may indeed hear from you, that their lives may be changed. In fact, that we all would be transformed. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. <clears throat> well, <clears throat> I have to say, when I first started thinking about this topic, it was very uh, tempting to think about it from the perspective of rearranging the schedule, you know, rearranging your weekly schedule, or even maybe discussing things like categories of uh, sacred time or ordinary time or how we can improve our time, but it just didn't sit right for me. And the reason is I don't think that it really gets to the heart of the matter of what time really is and what stewarding our time really means. For me, stewarding uh, of anything actually begins with a heart that's fully devoted to Christ. If our hearts are not devoted to the Lord, then it will be very hard to steward anything well for him. And I think this is especially true uh, when we talk about time because when we think about it, time is really just a proxy for life. It's a stand-in for your energy, for your actions. And its meaning from the standpoint of eternity, from the standpoint of eternity, its meaning consists really in the actions that we take, the things that we do, whether they are righteous or unrighteous. So this morning I want to show you three, uh, three things. First of all, that we become faithful stewards of our time as we contemplate our salvation. We become faithful stewards of time as we contemplate our salvation. Second, that we become faithful stewards of time as we content ourselves to suffer. And thirdly, that we become faithful stewards of time as we commit ourselves to serve. And I would like to show you this through the scriptures that we read this morning, but also by way of illustration through the life of a lady named Esther Ann Kim. 
So let's look at the first point there. We become faithful stewards of time as we contemplate our salvation. I just wonder if the team at the back there could bring up uh, the passage there, which is Psalm 90, verses 10 to 12, up on the screen for you all. And I'll read it. Let's read. Our days may come to 70 years or 80, if our strength endures. Yet the best of them are but trouble and sorrow, for they quickly pass and we fly away. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. Thank you. You can take that down now. That's Psalm 90. Psalm 90 and Psalm 91 are meant to be read together. Side by side, they present parallel pictures of life. Psalm 91 is a picture of those who faithfully walk with God. All the blessings of the covenant are theirs to enjoy. In a word, they are blessed. Psalm 90, however, that we just read is a lament. It describes the condition of those who abandon the ways of the Lord. The covenant blessings for them are absent. It's a very sorry picture. Even the best of their years are but sorrow and trouble because they pass quickly and we fly away. It's such a sorry sight. But this psalm, it also contains a little nugget of grace. Those verses that we read just now, verses 11 and 12, Moses describes the means by which this tragic state of affairs, that these ones who have walked away from the Lord, how this state of affairs may have been avoided. If only we knew the power of your anger, your wrath, is as great as the fear that is your due. Teach us to number our days that we may gain a heart of wisdom. In order to live well, in order to steward time well, requires a wise heart. But how shall we obtain a wise heart? Well, Moses tells us by living in the fear of the Lord, a fear that concords with his anger Towards sin. If only we knew the power of your anger, he says, your wrath is as great as the fear that is your due. But hang on, we're in the new covenant. We're Christians. And so, where do we look? Where do we start? Well, for us, we start at the cross. In the cross, we see the full anger of God towards sin in Jesus. But that's not all we see. We also see the love of God toward us for whom he died. And it is this that compels us to live wisely. To illustrate this uh, idea of living wisely, living in the fear of the Lord, I want to share with you about a lady named Esther Ahn Kim. She's a Korean woman. She was a music teacher. She lived during the Japanese occupation of Korea. 
And in the year 1939, by order of the occupying Japanese forces, she walked up a hill towards a shrine of Amaterasu Omikami, the Japanese sun god. Everybody was being gathered up, walked up the hill, and being forced to bow down in submission uh, to this sun god. But Esther was a devout Christian woman, and she had determined in her heart that she would bow to no one but the Lord. Her life did not belong to herself, but it belonged to the one that died for her. Even though she could lose her life for defying the authorities, to her it was better to defy them than to deny her Lord. And so when the order was given, everybody bowed down their most humble uh, bow before Amaterasu Omikami. But she remained upright, looking into the sky. And she said, a calmness and a peace I'd never known filled her heart. Now that decision that she made was the beginning of great suffering. And as she came down the hill, back down towards the school where she worked, four detectives were waiting for her. And she prayed. She said, Father, today... I did what I had to do. I died on that mountain. I no longer live. But you live through me. She is one who would sooner die for her Lord, for the one who died for her, than deny him. This is what it means to live in the fear of the Lord. We'll come back to a story again later. But I want to encourage you to meditate often and deeply on your salvation. I want you to consider the great and costly nature of Jesus' sacrifice, the punishment that he took upon himself for your sins on your behalf as your substitute for the forgiveness that he purchased for you in his blood. By it, you've been saved from the penalty of sin and from final and ultimate judgment. And every day, he intercedes for you, even as his spirit works in you and delivers you from the present power of sin. And ultimately, he will take you home He'll remove you from the very presence of everything unholy. So I ask you, how then shall you live? Use your time wisely and live in a manner that honors such a great salvation. This is how we become faithful stewards of time as we live in the fear of the Lord, as we live Second, we become faithful steward of time as we content ourselves to suffer. So let's read now from 1 Peter chapter 4, verses 1 to 6. Therefore, since Christ suffered in his body, arm yourselves with the same attitude, 
because whoever suffers in the body has finished with sin. As a result, they do not live the rest of their earthly lives for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do, living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. They're surprised that you do not join them in their reckless, wild living, and they heap abuse on you. But they will have to give account to him who is ready to judge the living and the dead. For this is the reason the gospel was preached even to those who are now dead, so that they might be judged according to human standards in regard to the body, but live according to God in regard to the spirit. So this portion of Peter's letter concludes a point he was making about suffering in the earlier chapter, chapter 3. Not just any old suffering, though. He's not uh, encouraging you to go out and uh, hurt yourself in some way or put yourself in the way of danger, but it's suffering for doing good. In chapter 3, he says, to suffer for doing good is better than to suffer for doing evil. Of course, this is the example of Jesus himself, a man perfect in every way who suffered for doing the will of God. So suffering is an integral part of the Christian life because to live authentically, Christians must necessarily reject the patterns of this world. And as a result, uh, Peter says, we do not live the rest of our earthly life for evil human desires, but rather for the will of God. And he goes on to tell us that our decision to follow Jesus is going to result in conflict and suffering. And so he says, arm yourself. Arm yourself also with this attitude. When you tell somebody to arm themselves, you're saying, be ready for a battle. Be ready for a fight. And that's exactly what Peter is saying. He's exhorting his readers to be ready to his audience, to be ready. Prepare yourself. Be ready. There's a fight and you will suffer. But just in case it's a little bit unclear, Peter wants to make sure everyone understands where this conflict lies. And so he explains the nature of that conflict. It's cultural, it's moral, and it's personal. Verse 3, For you have spent enough time in the past doing what pagans choose to do. That is the cultural aspect. No longer following the crowd, no longer doing what the pagans are doing, no longer doing what the culture dictates to you. That's the first battle. The second battle is moral. Living in debauchery, lust, drunkenness, orgies, carousing, and detestable idolatry. Kind of sounds like uh, Castle Street on O Week. Um, actually, uh, I, I started looking up the meaning of all these words, you know, I just thought, I might just see if I can break down and get a little bit more uh, content for the sermon here. And uh, I, I went to a, a dictionary and I looked up debauchery and under, under, underneath it had a 
at a definition. It said uh, wild, reckless living, um, usually with copious amounts of alcohol. And then underneath it said, not a good idea the night before an exam. <laughs> anyway. Uh, so anyway, uh, that's, that's the moral aspect to it. He's saying the fight is cultural, it's moral. But then it's also personal. Refusing to participate in these types of activities will result in abuse coming your way from those around you. Peter says, be aware that there is a reckoning. He said they will have to give an account before the one who is ready to judge the living and the dead. So don't give in to pressure. Be aware. Keep in mind that those who engage in such activities, there will be a judgment. But also be aware that your participation in such activities, should you refuse good sense, will dull your love of Christ and your sense of duty towards God. So be prepared. So I want to turn back to Esther's story for a moment because she is an example of somebody who had prepared herself. She prepared herself before she went up that mountain. When they give the order to bow, I will not bow. I will stand. I mentioned earlier that as she came down the hill, she saw that there were four detectives waiting for her at the school. And as a result of that, she decided to go into hiding. And while she was hide in hiding, she determined to prepare her heart and body to suffer for Christ. She knew that imprisonment was almost certain. And so... Knowing that she could not stand in her own power, she fasted, she prayed, and trained uh, physically so that she could endure hard conditions, so that she'd be able to stand firm in the power and the grace of God, a bold and confident ambassador for Christ. But it was difficult, you know, when you start praying and you're spending time in the Word and you're seeking the will of God, it's hard to remain in hiding. And before long, she sensed the call of God to go and proclaim the gospel among the very Japanese people that were persecuting her and occupying her home, to, home country. And so she came out of hiding, sharing the gospel. It was a likely death sentence, but she said she would go wherever God would lead her. Soon enough, her obedient faith and her courageous stand for Christ resulted in six years of harsh imprisonment and torture. But never once did she deny the name of Christ. Well, that's part two, but we're going to come back for part three because there's more to her life. Esther is an example of somebody who anticipated suffering and she met that challenge through prayer, fasting, and physical discipline. I wonder how many of us are conditioned 
even to take a few insults at our faith uh, graciously in the love of the Lord? Or are we more inclined to run off to our keyboards and write something up on Twitter? You know, I don't know. Is it part of our discipleship programs? We're going to talk about prayer, Bible study, fellowship, oh, and suffering. So I ask you today, are you prepared for suffering? You might not find yourself in Esther's place, but then again you might. But will you be prepared on that day? Will you bow? Or will you stand up for Christ? We become faithful stewards of our time as we content ourselves to suffer. So my third point here arising from our passage is this, that we become faithful stewards of time as we commit ourselves to service. You can all breathe a sigh of relief. We'll read again from 1 Peter chapter 4, uh, verses 7 and on. The end of all things is near. Therefore, be alert and of sober mind so that you may pray. Above all, Love each other deeply, because love covers a multitude of sins. Offer hospitality to one another without grumbling. Each of you should use whatever gift you've received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves... They should do so with the strength God provides, so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. To him be the glory and the power forever and ever. Amen. Verses 7 through 12 is an encouragement to all believers to use their gifts, the gifts God has given them, to serve others. Peter begins with the words, the end of all things is near. And he uses this as an exhortation to live wisely and to pray. Living in the light of the end of all things, the believers are to make responsible use of their gifts as faithful stewards of God's grace. And note this, it begins with love. Verse 8, love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. Love each other deeply. Because love covers a multitude of sins. But by this, Peter is not implying that love atones for sin, but simply that love doesn't go about stirring up sin or broadcasting others' sin. Love covers sin. The one who loves suffers all and bears all things for Jesus' sake, forgiving others because Christ first forgave them. Love is a fountain from which all true service flows. And he mentions hospitality. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. 
And understandably so, because hospitality is a tangible expression of love, especially among believers. To be denied hospitality is to be denied fellowship. And to be denied fellowship is an expression of disapproval. To break fellowship is a sign of rebellion. So love one another deeply because love covers sin. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. If love is absent, it's impossible for us to make effective use of our gifts and therefore to make effective use of our time. Our gifts originate in the heart of God and so they are to reflect the character of God. And so those who speak are to speak as though they speak the very words of God. And those who serve do so with the strength that God provides because ultimately it's all from God, it's through God, and it's to God. But when love is present, it results in glory being given to God as per verse 11. It says that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. Your love towards others yields a harvest of righteousness and praise towards the Lord. Again, we come back to the story of Esther. Esther, who had been up the mountain and refused to bow down to the idols of the age but stand for her Lord. Esther, who prepared herself to suffer for her Lord's sake. Esther, who now is languishing in Japanese prisons. While there in the Japanese prison, it's recorded that she shone the light of the gospel of Christ. She shone with almost a supernatural love for her persecutors and fellow prisoners. While there, she was tortured. She endured all kinds of hardship. But there's one story that's recorded of where she would give up her meals, a meager amount of food that she was given to another prisoner, a woman that had been thrown into prison for murdering her husband, who was insane. Esther determined that she would care for this woman. She gave her her food, she shared the gospel with her, and she prayed relentlessly for her. The woman was sentenced to death and did eventually die, but she died in her right mind, knowing Jesus. And with a hope and a future. The gospel has a power to transform. I want you to consider Esther's example for a moment. In the context of time. Because Esther's ability to schedule anything was taken away from her while she was in prison. She didn't have any external resources to draw on. She wasn't free to choose between 
a mission stream or you know, a worship stream or something like that. She didn't have an opportunity to choose between one activity or another. She was bound by the strictures of prison life. However, even there, she was able to steward the time that she had well through the use of her gifts. The only resource she had available to her was her faith in Jesus. And her love for the Lord spilled out of her by way of service to her fellow inmates. She offered the service that was available to her. Prayer, physical comfort, such as food and the gospel. So I ask you this. How can we, who are so rich in time and resources, do less for those around us? The fact may be that Esther was more free in prison than many of us are in our liberty. So to conclude this morning, I just want to recap the points of this message. How do we faithfully steward our time? Or how do we become faithful stewards of time? First, we become faithful stewards of time as we contemplate our salvation. Will we bow down to the demands of our culture and worship at the shrines of the gods of our age? Or will we look to the heavens and say, like Esther, today I died. You gave your life for me, and now my life is in your hands. I will not bow down to any other. Two, we become faithful stewards of time as we content ourselves to suffer. Will we pursue the comfortable life, seeking the approval of men and the applause of the world, or will we prepare ourselves to face the insults and suffering that inevitably comes with being faithful to Jesus and his purpose for us? And last of all, we become faithful stewards of time as we commit ourselves to service. Are we going to lament the pressures of time or the lack of resources, or will we pursue a life of prayer, love, and hospitality, seeking to serve others from the riches of grace that God has anointed us with? Let's pray. Father, we stand in awe of the tremendous sacrifice of Jesus this morning. His love, such love, poured out for us. The great punishment that came upon him, that was our due, but was poured out upon him. And we ask you, Lord, to teach us to number our days that we might have a wise heart that we might be good stewards of our time, faithful with the grace that you have poured out upon us. Lord, may each one of us leave here this morning transformed, more deeply devoted to you, more hungry to know you, more steadfast in our zeal to serve you. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen.